welcome to another episode of The Shift with Elena Agar. In this episode, I chat with Teresa Vazza. She is an executive coach working particularly with women in the workplace, um, helping eradicate burnout and actually prevent that from happening in the first place. So really focusing on that well-being piece and looking to, you know, how can we manage our energy better? Um, she has amazing, amazing tips and insights that she has shared. Um, she's very genuine, very passionate about what she does. And I think you will really enjoy this conversation. Teresa, welcome to The Shift Podcast. Thank you, Elena. I'm glad to be here. So you have a lot of experience in really integrating the mind and the body and leadership and how does all come together. But before we go into all of that, let's just give me a little bit of an idea of what is the crucible and what has been your inspiration for for starting that? Yeah, great question. Yeah, so the Crucible, which is for your listeners, it's a group coaching program for women at that director plus level who are looking to step into their their next stage of leadership. And it was created, or I would say it was born from my own personal Crucible, which really put me in a position of having to come to terms with my leadership, my past, my ways of leading in the corporate world. And just to give you a, an idea of what I mean by that is when I think about a crucible, the reason the name is so important to me is because it's all about transformation, right? It's all about how do we transform something from lead into gold. And a lot of the times that comes from experiences and stories and hardships that we have gone through in our life. And for myself, I hit a real personal transformation crucible story in 2015 when I suffered from extreme burnout in the workplace. I was promoted at the time that I actually did experience that I was just promoted. I was just promoted to vice president of human resources and I was working for a new leader and in my effort to impress and in my effort to make a strong impression, I over-indexed quite rapidly on overachievement. So what that looked like for me, and I'm sure many of your listeners can relate, is saying yes to all the things, to volunteering for too many additional projects, for worrying consistently and constantly about whether or not I was doing a good enough job, really struggling with assertiveness and the ability to hold my own in front of authority figures, especially male authority figures. And that led me to experiencing a great amount of anxiety. And in 2015, I'll never forget it. I was wheeled out of the boardroom in a stretcher because I had had a panic attack. Although at the time I thought it was a heart attack. And it was a defining moment for me in my leadership because I was right in front of the CEO. I just got promoted. I was embarrassed. I was ashamed, all of the things. And really that became a turning point for me to really examine my relationship to work, mm -hmm. my relationship to myself, to my physical self, my mental self, my emotional self, and really started me down this journey of my own healing, which then led me to, to want to bring what I learned and in my journey through coaching 
to other women in my or in similar positions as myself. And that was what led to the creation of the Crucible, which is a, a thriving program today. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. You know, what's interesting is that I have a lot of guests, of course, on my podcast and just people that I talk to. And um, it's it always seems to be there's that theme of either something happens, right? Like something extreme in, in a person's life where it, it could be, you know, maybe it's happening to the person, maybe it's to their, you know, loved ones and so on that forces us to pause. Mm. Or in 2020, when we all had to pause, and it's almost like when we and, and at, at those times when we have the time to think and pause, mm. or, you know, because it's 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 really just it's 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 almost I see it is the pause, not just the thing that happened, but it's the yeah. fact that you you stop doing yeah. and then you're like, wait a minute, and it's it's recurring theme. Yet we keep falling into it. So is there some like what can we do to prevent that from happening? Like how do we create intentional pauses mm. in a way that we actually listen? So you know what I'm saying? Like in a I way do. that we actually like let's actually do this on purpose, you know, yeah. just like, yeah, let's just take a day off. Like, no, no, yeah. intentionally, like, think about yeah. what you want to do. Yeah, I love that you asked that question. I, I and, uh, you know, I am maniacal, <laughs> if you will, about self care, but not in the way that people traditionally associate self care. So let me explain what I mean. For me, self-care is it goes beyond the tactical it be, goes beyond the day off to use your example it goes beyond having a bath or booking a girls weekend or whatever it might be for me it's a process of continually asking yourself what do i need and what is missing and really checking in we were speaking earlier about mind body like what are the signals that my body is sending me both physically but also mentally and emotionally and mm. for example anxiety is a strong signal and so i think one of to answer your question i think first and foremost it starts with really getting people to understand and specifically because i work a lot with women mm -hmm. is understanding what overcare looks like because i think we've been conditioned to care too much to be uber reliable and so it starts with like unpacking those in many cases conditioned beliefs from ourselves as young girls whether you grew up in a patriarchal traditional household or not it doesn't matter because we live in in that um, type of society or we grew up in that and so really starting to undo those beliefs and that starts with education so one of the things i'm really uh, passionate about elena is really getting in front of women sooner mm -hmm. so that we don't have what occurred to me which is like all of a sudden you ignore you ignore you ignore because you don't think because you falsely believe that this is the cost of becoming an executive which is what my belief system was this is the mm. cost mm. of becoming an executive leader you have to put in your time you have to do, you know do more work whatever it might be so i think it really starts with education role models mentors sponsors i think every woman in an organization should arm themselves with a mentor or a sponsor someone who has gone before them or, or a coach to help them untangle those, those beliefs that are like, um, I, I, I wanna say locked in, but those beliefs that are like all, they're all enmeshed. Mm. So I think it's, it really does start with that. 
education being number one and you know listening to the very early signs of the body because the loud ones are obvious panic attack getting reeled out in a stretcher but the more subtle ones are also like those micro uh, indicators are also really important so feeling tired feeling low energy feeling bored feeling apathetic feeling irritable feeling Mm -hmm. you know disrespected any of those micro feelings that we tend to ignore I would go on the record to say, just stop mm-hmm. and listen. And I think it starts with listening to those teeny tiny clues that if you catch them early, they don't lead to a macro problem like myself, like what I experienced, and I'm sure many other women and men have experienced too. So paying attention to the early, small indicators that your body gives you and your thinking gives you is a surefire way to help protect yourself from a greater fallout. Hmm. And you know, it's so, it's so, it's so powerful that you talk about these things and that's what you're kind of putting out there because I think, especially as women and men as well, of course, but you know, I know you work mainly with women. And so, you know, with women, it's so hard because I don't know how many times I've had really close friends of mine who of course, like, uh, you know, they have families, you know, kids and husband and, 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 you know, high level jobs and so on. And it's like, and it's almost like, like you said, we're conditioned to put ourselves last. And and I think sometimes, and it's like when you speak on these topics, you're like, yeah, okay, I, I remember now. Let me try to do something. And I think we don't talk about it enough. And if you don't have an environment or yes. like a coach yes. or a community, right, which is where it's so powerful to have that program, a community, because mm-hmm. it's not, and I think that's what most people need is like, we know mm-hmm. what we need to do. Like I was listening to somebody and say, well, like, we all know we need to eat healthy, sleep good, da, da, da. but do we actually do it? Like the, the yeah. blueprint is there. And I think this is where that community and the coaching, the accountability has to be there. Yeah, you you nailed it on the head. I was just saying this to a group of women yesterday that the missing link, I believe, from going from knowing something to embodying something is often that culture of accountability. It's that culture of shared purpose. It's that culture of open sharing, of shared experience, of a community of practice. And I think especially now, since the pandemic, I've seen so many or such a leaning towards individualization because we work from home, many of us now, or at least partially. And so we've gotten used to trying to go it alone. And what I'm starting to see is a craving, especially from women leaders, for comrades, for having people in their community that they can say, this is what I'm struggling with. What other suggestions may be available to me? What other ways of thinking? What other people can I tap into? So having that community that you can not only get coached in, but also share common struggles and and receive from other like-minded women possible solutions is invaluable. I mean, all the traditional leadership programs out there don't offer that, which is what makes coaching very unique. And and again, I don't wanna sound like I'm, I'm tooting my own horn, but I think whether it's a coach or a mentor or a sponsor, so long as you line yourself up more than one, you know, and, and create that culture of shared accountability, you have a much greater 
likelihood of being successful and enjoying your career mm. versus really just kind of grinding it out. Yeah, and 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 I, I agree. Like leadership courses, like leadership programs, they don't focus on that. And I'm, you know, I, I was literally like, I don't know if I was posting about it or something, but I was like, um, and it, it's it's like we we are there's so much money that we spend as organizations, right, on all these leadership developments. So, but it's usually the wrong place to spend it. And I think that in that article, I was like talking about how. Um, there's always going to be somebody who's going to take, you know, a huge, a huge fee for that one day workshop on leadership and knowing well that it's probably not going to return, like have a good return on investment for the company. Because in fact, what we know and being in our field, know that what's impactful is that continuous yeah. accountability that is consistent and continuous through a period of time. Mm. Right. And this is where coaching, I think, is powerful. And I think some of those uh, like I get it, like, yes, people need to make money and all that. But some of those people that that uh, or companies even that hire and, and expect expect miracles from a one day workshop. I think it's giving it a bad rap. It's giving yeah. this leadership development. And that's why it's, you know, the, the, this yeah. coaching world, a bad rap. And it's and there is power to it if it's done right. If there's a follow up process after yeah. that one day workshop, like a program or coaching engagement. Yeah. And you know, the word that comes to my mind as I hear you speak is um, resonance. The mm. problem with so many leadership programs today is that they're skill-based. Right. And sometimes there's like 10 or 20% of like practice and, and role model or role playing, if you will. But I think what's missing is every, like you need to feel something to make any change in behavior, to make any change in your day-to-day -day leadership, it has to connect emotionally or else it just doesn't stick. Mm. And so looking for what's resonant will greatly improve the chances of someone walking out of a, a leadership program, which perhaps maybe has a coaching cohort involved with it, mm. with, with an increased level of desire to practice something. Because you and I, we both come from corporate worlds. We know what this is like. You mm -hmm. go to a workshop, at the best of times you walk away going, oh, I love that. And then you forget 70% of it. You know, I think that's the actual stat actually yeah, that learning. Within like a, within a, a week, you forget most of it or, or something. something. Yeah, 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 it's so quick. And so the greatest change that I've ever seen in my leadership career following that burnout episode was when I worked for, I think, two years with a coach mm -hmm. to really unravel the faulty belief systems I had about leadership and about myself. And then I actually was able to practice that in the field as mm -hmm. an executive. And um, that and the reason I did that was because it was it was resonant. I felt something from doing it. I felt a source of pride. I felt a sense of agency, uh, you know, I felt a sense of being in full authority of my voice. Those are things that are very hard to create in a leadership program. I'm not saying they're impossible, but I believe there has to be a human element, one-to-one -one design when you're looking at something like that. Yeah, I, I tend to, I, I tend to agree. I mean, naturally, I'm biased, but I do tend to agree with that just because it's a lot of the results, at least what I've seen in talent development is usually around that. And, I, you know, yeah. so I, I, I hire external providers, I am an external provider in some cases, and I see it and it's, that's where the most impact happens. So it's, um, yeah. 
uh, it's an investment, but it, it it pays off. And I feel like it's it's something that companies need to do more of. And companies mm-hmm. and leaders are doing more of that is investing in these kind of development. Uh, so on your coaching seems to also focus a lot on kind of core that emotional intelligence, right? Resiliency and also trauma informed leadership. Yes. So talk to me a little bit about that. How do these skills contribute to being a successful leader? Yeah, well, I'll speak to I'll speak to the hardest one first, maybe the trauma informed. So I think part of my experience in having recovered from burnout and then consequently getting coached, and I also am a big believer in therapy and therapeutic circles as well, is that so much of our behavior is shaped. And we call this in the terminology that I come from conditioned tendencies. These are the these are the ways in which um, we automatically react under pressure. So that's a conditioned tendency. And then a shaping force is what are all those things that gave rise to that tendency? So your childhood, your schooling system, the country you were born in, the, the mm-hmm. cultural, the institutions, the your religion, if you have one, like there are so many shaping forces that left undiscussed really do a disservice to understanding the whole person. So um, in my approach to to coaching, um, and again, because it was gifted to me, is very much an approach where I'm not a therapist, but we do bring in how we were shaped and what might what might else what else might we consider when it comes to our shaping in ways of responding that are more adaptive versus maladaptive. Mm. So really untangling the effects of trauma. Um, unfortunately, I did grow up in a in a under pretty traumatic circles. My my father was a very violent man. Um, he has since done different things to help himself and I forgive him and that's all wonderful, but you can't think that that's not going to have an impact on you as you grow up as a leader, especially for myself in relating to men of authority. That was a really important lesson for me. So I do believe that it has a place to understand how you're shaping and how any past traumas may have contributed to how you lead. I also think that kind of leads to the second thing you mentioned, which is around resiliency. Mm-hmm. The beauty of recovering from trauma, which uh, I believe I have in many cases, but you still live with some effects, is that you you build this really strong inner resolve and grittiness about you. And when I think of resilience, I'm not, I don't really believe in the whole, it's all about bouncing back. I believe it's about understanding your story and how you respond to events from a place of how it's enhanced your life versus how it's diminished you so i i try to bring in that different modalities in the coaching container because i do believe that one of the most future forward skills and i and i'm hearing this from ca you know hr executives everywhere and different think tanks is resiliency the ability to adapt, the ability to switch tasks, the ability to change priorities can be very difficult for people. And we know that change and transformation is not going anywhere. And so cultivating that ability to adapt to change and to create a more resilient mindset that allows you to think differently, allows you to bring in more of that growth mindset, allows you to think on the more positive pole of things versus the negative pole 
is a huge advantage for both leaders, but also for organizations, because mm. it's, again, it's the future forward skill that is most missing in many organizations today. People are tired. Mm. And so we need to somehow uh, mitigate against this missing skill that many people have, which is how do I adapt to changing circumstances in a way that I'm not undone by it? Yeah, I, I think you're spot on with that because as we become more, especially the more senior you become in your career, um, you become almost like there's a lot of distractions as well. So like, you know, like technology is great, but it's very distracting. And then people who have families, you have continuous distractions and worries and everything around you. And at the same time, it seems that responsibilities at work keep growing and with any leadership role, it grows. So it becomes even more important to take care of that of your well-being piece because yeah. it's you know it's i mean as you know it's everything right because it's like you know it's like you know you you gotta you gotta it's like a, you know if you don't take care of your car if you don't change your oil it's gonna it's gonna die down right it's, it's gonna it's gonna stop working right the the, the, yeah. the silly comparison but it's true and it's like and we don't you know and 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 then i always think like at each level when you hit a new obstacle or challenge it's not like you're going to be super ready and resilient but you have a better the way I see it is like you're going to have a better, um, how to say, a better um, uh, um, muscle, so to say, to deal with it. So if you, yeah. you know what I mean, if you're taking care of your body and mind, then whenever something happens, even if you're not ready for it, you'll hopefully be able to bounce back faster, right? Yeah. Instead of, you know what I'm saying? So if you, yeah. build, so it's like, you, I don't know if you can, I don't know, because resilience is like, everybody has different levels of resilience, depending on how much they've been exposed to. But mm -hmm. I think no matter what it is, if people take care of their minds and bodies and mm -hmm. understand that connection that you talk about, oh, yeah. I think that's, that will make you better at whatever yeah. crap is going to come your way. So talk to me about yeah. that, that body mind oh. connection. And Oh yeah, no, I, I'm a hundred percent with you. I think of a couple things when it comes to the mind body. So, um, in the purely traditional sense, I mean, I know you are someone that loves to work out. I'm, I'm the same. I'm a big advocate of physical health. I feel unusually odd if I don't do something every day. I need to get outside. I need that. I call it ecotherapy. I need exercise. Those are really, really important things to me. And I think they're very, very important habits that are essential to well-being, without a doubt. I also think that part of the whole mind body integration from my perspective is it's i think I, a little bit of what i said earlier is going from a place of knowing something intellectually to actually feeling it in your body so i think that the more we can start to get in touch with the signals that our body senses much like we do when we are working out and when we we feel like we've hit a max and we need to pull it back or we need to or we need to push forward depending on the goal it's much like the same thing it's really just becoming what i call highly attuned mm -hmm. so how do we become more highly attuned to our thinking habits to our physical habits to those sensations that our body sends us to, I think, to all of those signals, because the body speaks wisdom. And again, I don't want to sound too woo, because I think people get a little bit freaked out when I bring that up. And what I'm essentially saying is that we are cognitive humans, we think from our head up, mm -hmm. like most mm -hmm. of the time. But a lot of the intuition, a lot of that gut instinct, a lot of that 
um, decision-making power lies below the chin. Mm-hmm. We're just attuned to listening to those sim- those signals. So it, an example is um, a lot of a couple of few things I do with with my clients, and I'm not sure if they're familiar to you too, but we do a lot of centering, we do a lot of grounding, we do a lot of somatic work where we're Mm -hmm. in the body and we're really listening to what intuition might be telling us. And of course, you balance that with logic. Like it's not just about listening entirely to your body and nothing else. We do have a brain and a thinking head for a reason but it's about integrating the two. It's not about just one or the other. So I just think that when it comes to well-being, the more we can make decisions that are integrated with both our thinking mind and our physical mental selves, the more successful we will be. Hmm. I I don't think it's woo-woo at all. I think it's, you know, there's a lot of science as well that comes out that's it's you know and I do I, I do know that some people are like oh this is a little bit etc but I think because we've been conditioned to ignore the signs and take take a pain pill or or a medicine yeah. or something like that that actually makes it worse so we're just putting you know we're just putting a band-aid on a broken leg essentially and, yeah. and we do this in many areas of our lives mm-hmm. because the other part is harder it's harder to ask what do I really want it's harder mm-hmm. to make a change it's harder to recognize where you're where you know you know it's hard because when you start being aware and I've gone through this you know I was also very you know um you know not paying attention all that like I I mean I feel like my whole 20s were a mess and now I'm spending my 30s rebuilding myself essentially but you know but I think that there is you know that's how we used to live back in the day right like we didn't have these technologies people just literally were in tune with their bodies and tried to understand and we we did just fine as human beings you know yes we died earlier because of illnesses and stuff like that but you get what I'm saying like we have been listening to our bodies and I think that we just became like you said we're just too cognitive we're too up here because we we became so smart and it's great as a society as a species but we forget that our body is still pure biology and yeah it's, it's just that that's it like it's that you know you just have to listen to it you know what I mean that's oh God, that's been around yeah. forever you know I agree and, and you know we live in information overload too so we're like consistently bombarded with messages and articles and new research and publications and and look I am I'm a huge reader I love learning and I will always love learning but I think sometimes I th- well, I, this is what I do know. Managing overwhelm is probably the number one task or problem that my clients have. They are overwhelmed, whether it's in their career, and most of the times it's a combination of career and life. And one of the things they want the most is help me reduce the level of overwhelm that I feel in my body and in my mind. And I think that one of the quickest ways to do that but it's still so often ignored although i agree with you i think it's gaining traction now is in paying attention to the physical sensations of the body it is in um going outside for five minutes seven minutes ten Mm. minutes it is in those what i think are maybe less sexy uh alternatives but that have been around forever and ever which is essentially learning to really listen to the body and get in touch with it and not ignore it so much healing i think starts from that place i I, i've seen it i've just i've seen it with my clients i've seen it with myself 
it's 100%. I think one of the ways we reduce overwhelm is the simple act of listening to what are the signals of my body telling me. Mm. Yeah. And I think for women also, we feel almost guilty, you know, if we, we, we start, and I think that's, what's hard. Cause like I, I hear just like, I, I have one of my, one of my close friends and, and she's, um, you know, overachiever and uh, a mother and a wife and all of that. And she's just like, she just doesn't feel like she can give herself the time. You know, she understands like logically, like, yeah. yes, I know I need to, but just not now, like mm-hmm. not now, not now. So it's like, and it's, you know, and, and it's hard to, because it's like, it's it's hard to break through that right and usually friends are like the worst yeah. the worst people to like okay well like you're my friend so like it's hard to when you when a stranger tells you these things you know uh it's different that's why I love to send these episodes to my friends I'm like different episodes I'm like listen to this person I'm this not saying it. this is an expert this is not me you know but it's it's just I think for women we also feel a lot of guilt I mean myself included you know when I don't work and I'm a, I'm a recovering workaholic and you know I'm going from like seven days a week working you know for 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 years and just like always have to be doing something and that to me uh comes from 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 just understanding that when I was growing up I didn't feel like I was enough and and it's like and I'm just I'm, I'm always chasing something I have to prove yeah. something and yeah. and you know and it, and it takes a lot so and I, I understand I talk to you know brilliant people like yourself on these topics and it's still very hard and for I'm sure. in this world so when you're out there you know add the guilt and all of that it just becomes you know I think it's you know I'm empathetic to to yeah. to people that go through that yeah, I agree with you. And and I mean, that's the number one thing I hear from from women as well as I, I just don't have the time mm-hmm. or and oftentimes it's not so much they don't have the time. It's that they don't have the energy. Right. Yeah. And I think that's a big differentiator because I like to decouple time when I hear that from people, because I mean, I could say that about so many things. I hear myself saying that about so many things. But what it really gets down to is where's my energy? Like, where do I, where am I placing my energy? Um, I think once, and this is part of the resiliency work I I do with HeartMath, which is um, an institution that's dedicated to understanding uh, and studying resilience, very scientific. And one of the things that they taught us when we were trained many years ago is that resilience is really all about energy versus depletion. So if you want to increase your resiliency battery life, if you will, then it's really about asking yourself, where's your energy? When you're able to take a step back, even for a moment and say to yourself, where am I spending most of my time? Is this renewing me or is this depleting me? Then only then can we then start to pull back from that depletion list and start creating capacity. But I think that in the beginning, for especially for women who are overwhelmed, it's like we have to make it easy for them. We have to show them easy ways to just dip their toes into starting to engage in some type of relief. Because once they taste it, they want more of it. It's just that first initial step. And this is where one of my coaches, I remember the first time I signed up for coaching after I suffered from burnout, it was an, it was very expensive. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to do this. Hmm. And I remember, I remember my husband just said, just do it. Just don't think about it. Just press send and don't think. And that alone was the best advice I could have ever had because 
overthinking is another form of depletion. And I think that overthinking is also what contributes to energy drain for so many high achieving women. And so if we can just reduce the decisions um, in a way that's simplistic for them, it it really does help them take the necessary steps. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And so this program is it how tell me a little bit more about it. Like, is it in cohorts? Do you run it over the six months? I think that's kind of where you see those results, right? Where people's like stress level go down, everything kind of stabilizes. It's like, uh, like significantly for a lot of your participants. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for asking. Yeah, it's a six month program. Um, Right now, it's an open enrollment. So people can come in as 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 month to month, depending on the client. And I think the biggest part of the of the crucible, it's its mission is to help eradicate symptoms of burnout, while also providing them with clarity on the next steps in their career. Because so often I see that I see the two together, Mm -hmm. they come in, they're not sure about their career anymore, but they're so exhausted, and stressed out that they just can't see the forest through the trees, right. So we kind of work on both. But number one is always about what I call calming and stabilizing the nervous system. So let's come in, let's stabilize the nervous system. Let's work on different ways in which we can start to to do that. Get some quick wins on that front, which again, usually happens between month one and three. And then we can start doing some of that deeper work around, is this the career for me? Mm. Am I in the right job? What boundaries do I need to create? What beliefs am I holding on to that are keeping me trapped? that's when we start getting into some more of that deeper, deeper work. And oftentimes, I mean, many of my clients end up, they end up either getting promoted, or they end up leaving the company because they realize this is not for them. I see a lot of that too. And they find another job and they they love their new job, because they they come from a place of clarity, they know what they want now. Mm. And that starts with knowing what they don't want to feel. I think that's the big thing about clarity is, it's not about achieving a certain objective. It's about knowing what you want to feel. That's the greatest form of clarity. I, I think women get from the curriculum in, in the crucible and in the coaching. Mm-hmm. And I like it that you tackle that kind of inner piece almost first, because I see, you know, a, a, you know, a lot of coaches out there, they'll just kind of skip that part. Yeah. But I think it's so important because you don't want somebody making decisions based on emotion or because they're tired. Yeah. I've made so many bad decisions because I was tired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, because I'm just exhausted and, and, and it's emotional and it's, or it's out of fear. And it's, and I think stabilizing the nervous system is that that's a good move. I think that's, yeah. that's really good. Like that's, I mean, it just makes sense. And that's, uh, I like it that you combine the two because it's not just the straightforward and some people just look for that. Yes. But I think you make much better decisions when you, you know, your, your, yeah. your nervous system is in, in tune with you essentially. Yeah, it's a difference between, you know, you know, individuals who just quit and go for another job without really understanding what they want, and they end up in the same situation, mm-hmm. and miserable, because yeah. they don't have the tools or the skills. For, you know, that's one end. And the difference is that they actually know what they stand for, they know yeah. what they value, they know what they prioritize, and they make decisions from a future forward space versus a running away space, which is a very different energy in in career change. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And before I ask you my last question, where can people find you? Where do you spend most of your time online? Yeah, 
Uh, two places I think are the best. Um, my website, super easy. There's a bunch of different uh, free downloadables to help for women to help kind of ascertain where they're at in their career, what they need to stop doing, where they're at with, with burnout. That's TeresaVoza.ca or .com. I own both domains. So if you screw it up because I'm in Canada, you can go to .com and it'll still be there. And the second place is LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Uh, I love that platform. I do a lot of thought leadership there. So that would be the second place where they can get a hold of me as well. Amazing. And the last question I ask all of my guests yeah. is what is one question you wish people ask themselves more often? Oh, yeah. I was really excited about this question, Elena. Yeah. I won't lie. Um, I think it's what will you stop doing? I think that we are so focused on what we need to add. It's like a process of addition. And I think there's a lot of relief in daily asking yourself, what will I not do today? What will I stop doing? Mm. And that could be as broad as I will stop procrastinating on that piece I need to write for this publication, which is like in my case, or it could be as minor as I'm going to stop complaining in the morning as, as I get my kids ready to bed. It could be simple and granular, it can be broad, but I think it's training the muscle of becoming more comfortable with doing less and reducing that level of stress and overload. Hmm. Amazing. Well, you have inspired me to ask myself that question as well and just see where I can do a little bit less. I'm, I'm a, you know, like I said, I'm a recovering workaholic. So um uh, learning and growing with my guests so um thank you so much for coming on the show and for sharing your knowledge it was an absolute pleasure thank you so much for having me mm -hmm.